This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast is powered by, you guessed it, HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. HuntStand's powerful mapping features and revolutionary hunting tools will give you the confidence and knowledge for a safe and successful hunt. There's three different tiers that you can choose from. We've got a free version, and then you've got Pro and Pro Whitetail. Pro will give you access to premium map layers and hunting tools in the United States and Canada, where Pro Whitetail includes all HuntStand Pro features plus powerful tools made specifically for whitetail hunters. If you want to check it out, download HuntStand today. I love each and every one of these episodes and the guests that we get on here. If you're new or a longtime listener, don't forget, you might be listening but not subscribed. We have some awesome guests coming on in the future, so if you don't want to miss out on those when they go live, and if you want to support the show, press subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening. Today's podcast is brought to you by Savage Arms. Savage Arms is five generations of craftspeople using stripped-back, supercharged American ingenuity to make the most reliable and accurate modern high-performance firearms. To learn more, head to savagearms.com. Joining us on today's Hunt Stands Make Your Mark podcast episode is a good friend of mine, Fred Bow. Fred not only stands out as an accomplished bow hunter, but also leaves a lasting impact through his photography. In today's episode, we delve into an in-depth conversation exploring the current issue surrounding the world of trophy hunting with Fred. His wealth of experiences in deep ties within the hunting community add a practical and insightful perspective to this examination of the controversies around the words trophy hunting. Join us for a conversation that brings valuable insights from Fred Bohm's extensive background in the outdoor industry. Well, there's no problem. Yeah, no, I'm uh, uh, 
just probably like everybody else on here, a super passionate hunter, um, you know, based my life around hunting and tried to get involved in the industry. Um, did whatever it takes just to get out hunting more and more. So I, uh, I get, like you said, you know, I work with uh, Newman now, but I also work with uh, various companies, uh, different hunting companies, providing them with photography that, you know, they use uh, social media, their yeah. websites, billboards, whatever they want to use it for. So that type of thing. So that's a great way for me to keep getting out in the field um doing that but then i also own my main main gig is i own a company named sage and breaker we make uh firearm cleaning products um so again that puts you know keeps me in the industry so uh that's my basics you know my i based everything around bow hunting upland hunting um and my family of course and uh as long as i'm out in the field i'm a happy man i try to keep away from sitting behind a computer too much but yeah. that's inevitable as well these days yeah. uh so that's the down and dirty, the, the, the quick and short. Well, dude, give us a little bit more on your background because you used to be in the tech world before you really got into the photography yeah, yeah. and what you're doing now. Kind of, What made you go from that tech life to where you are now? See, I didn't want to bore you guys with that, but yes, yes, I was. I was, uh, I was what's called a motion designer. So we did uh, uh, motion graphics, video editing, that type of stuff. So I had my own firm for a little while, and then I, I really got into um, doing that in the um, ad world, ad agencies, that type of thing. So I mean, we had clients like uh, North Face, Audi, Pepsi, uh, Mountain Dew. We did a mm -hmm. lot of sports stuff as well. We just a little bit of stuff for the Super Bowl um and Colorado Rockies that type of stuff so you know it's is but it was ad agency life so what that entailed is 12 hours a day they want you on weekends um and it was sitting behind a computer and I liked doing that stuff but I'm just not you know some people could handle behind a computer type of thing that was just not for me you know being an outdoors guy I'm like well, this was possibly the worst job I could have picked <laughs> um <laughs> So, but I liked the, I loved the creative side of it, which was super fun. Uh, so I kept that and, you know, and I continue to, to um, do that. But then now I'm able to implement that outdoors more through the photography, um, that type of thing. So, yeah, it, you know, it was the, I started Sage and Breaker when I was in these ad agencies. I started as a kind of a side business, like, hey, let's see where this could go. And it, it took off. I needed to find out if there was um, space in the market for a real high-end gun cleaning products. I didn't know if people were looking for that. So I, I did, you know, just real small run of our, what we have is our boar cleaning kits. It's like a boar snake and that took off. So that was back in late 2014, early 2015. Again, I had an ad agency job, just bought a house in Denver. Our first kid was on the way. So it was a lot of pressure. Um, and, but I was losing it. You know, I would come home after work, work on Sage and Breaker gone on the weekends and came home, worked, worked, worked. And my wife eventually said, she's like, you know, this is insanity. She's like, you're not going to see your kid when he's born uh, if you continue to do this. And I'm like, well, which way should I go? I, you know, she's like, you're absolutely miserable. You come home from the, the ad agency world and, and you're just not a happy person. But then when you're working on stage and breaker, you love it because you're mm -hmm. working with people, you know, an industry that you love doing things that you love. You're creative, you, you know, it's being a small business owner, you're doing everything. So it's always exciting. Uh, so made the leap of faith, you know, with a mortgage coming in, uh, a baby on the way and uh, trying to still get out and hunt and do that a bit. Um, made the jump, took the leap of faith and did Sage and Breaker full time and the photography stuff full time. So and haven't looked back since. Speaking of that leap of faith, I think you we've seen probably like an uptick in a lot of people taking on like that entrepreneurial 
mindset, if you will. And uh, how long? I, I think there's a lot of people out there that listen to podcasts and they hear stuff like this and they're like, "Man, I want to do that, but I just don't like necessarily have the guts or the balls to do it." I mean, how long sure. did it take for those two things with Sage and Breaker and your photography within the outdoor community? How long did it really take for those to essentially kind of gain some steam? to support your family? I think that's a question a lot of people have. And I know I know this is way off topic of what we're going to talk about today, but I'm just interested to know. No, and it's all good because I'm super passionate about this. And I do get approached from time to time, whether it be friends or, you know, if, if I'm talking something about that online, people say, hey, how do, how do you get going in this? And I always encourage people to try because there's not, I mean, I'm a huge proponent. We're, we we have a very short lifespan, you know, yeah. in, in the grand scheme of things. And there's nothing worse than I could see is at the end saying, you know, why didn't I take more chances? I think the only regrets I'm going to have in the end, even now, and I, I feel like I take a good bit of chances, is that I didn't take enough. Yeah. So, you know, I I, I so I really encourage anybody who does have this drive, that does have this feeling that they want to go out on their own and start something on their own, just try it. Because even if that particular thing does not work, you're going to learn a ton from it. You're going to learn if you like to do this type of thing, or if you don't, or if you're more that, what do they call that? An intrapreneur where that you work for somebody else, which is awesome too, but you're going to have to figure out on your end if you're passionate enough, because let me tell you, it's a time suck. It's scary. You got to learn a lot of new things, but the beauty is too, with the, the internet world, I didn't go to school. I mean, I went to school for uh, God back in the day, um, natural resource management, which I've done really? nothing with. <laughs> yeah, 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 that was when I went to, you know, just right out of high school, you know, University of Delaware. I did that for a while, then moved out west. And then I did go to uh, an art school as well for design. Um, but you're going to learn all this stuff on your own. There's so many tutorials online. So the information's there. And for the, the, the most part, it's free. You just got to go out and search it out. So I, I really encourage anybody who wants to give this a try to give it a try. And it's going to vary how long it takes. It depends how much, what your skill set is now. You mm -hmm. have to learn a lot of new stuff. What you're looking to do, we do physical products. So that's one thing. Other people do stuff. They'll do, um, you know, maybe it's like tutorials for other people. If you're real good at say Photoshop or whatever you're good yeah. at, you know, you want to make online courses. So it's going to vary drastically. Uh, for me in particular, I started... It took me about a full year to jump the full time, and I probably not, should not have jumped the full time that early. You know, it was it was tough in the beginning. Like the money wasn't fully there. I don't didn't quite recover what I was making at my you know ad agency job. But there's something about that too. It lights a fire under your ass. You know what I mean? You have mm -hmm. all these pressures to uh, take care of your family to um, to advance this, and like there was it was all day. I was, I was so obsessed with making this work and I loved doing it. It wasn't like I got up in the morning and I'm like, Oh my God, I got to go into the job and I got to, you know, design commercials for Pepsi and, and, and encourage kids to get diabetes by doing it. So like, I felt horrible about what I was doing when I was in the ad agency world, but every yeah. morning I would wake up for Sage and break or the photography stuff and learn something new. And I was so passionate. I was obsessed with it. Um, so if you have that obsession, I, I don't see there's a, a way you're going to fail. That particular company may, but you're going to be able to apply that to something else further down the line. So do it, you know, get after it. Um, and anybody out there wants to reach out to me, I love talking this stuff. You know, this is a side passion besides hunting. Yeah. Um, I just like to see people, you know, just to take a chance. It, it is scary and it, it's going to be terrifying, but uh, that's part of the fun too. Yeah. I'm definitely all about uh, taking chances in life and, I've made some choices and chances and done things in my life. It's kind of 
led to where I am now that if I wouldn't have done those things that a lot of people thought was stupid of me to do, I wouldn't be sitting here. And then, right. You know, those are the same people who are like, dude, you get to go hunting for your job too. It's like, yeah, I do. Right. So, yep. man, it's crazy just how things happen, how things work out in life. And, uh, I think we're just gonna have to do another whole separate podcast on this. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. We're, I could talk forever on it. So yeah, we're going to have to, man. So, the reason I wanted to podcast with you today is a little bit controversial topic going on right now, and that's this whole segment, if you will, of trophy hunting. You know, you're starting to hear things and see things like the state of Colorado, which is where you used to live, which I, I want to find out why you moved. Just I want people to hear that sure. story too. But uh, we're going to talk about that, you know, this whole trophy hunting thing with mountain lions trying to be classified within that and just, you know, the banning of mountain lions. is just crazy crap going on right now, for lack of better terms. And so we'll talk about that. And then, you know, different aspects of trophy hunting, like people, how people refer to trophy hunting, whether that's they're looking at, as, looking at the antlers as the trophy. There's people who look at the meat as the ultimate trophy. There, there's a whole different bubble with that as well. But I'm interested to know... Uh, why did you move from Colorado? You know, like you kind of, if I remember correctly, is around the time that, you know, I'd left Newman and everything, you kind of went on the road with your family, right? You kind of did like this nomadic Correct. thing for a while, truck and trailer. Tell mm -hmm. us about it. Yeah, totally. So we, two years back, um, be about two and a half years in the fall. Mm -hmm. We just got, you know, the kids were young enough. They were just about to start school, but then COVID hit. So they, it would have been, uh, my oldest, my son, he would have just been having to do stuff online, like in kindergarten. So like, no, 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 no. He's going to learn a lot more. We were done with Denver. We saw what was going on with COVID, the lockdowns, the craziness. Denver had been growing. You know, I, I, I'd i been in there since 2002, Denver. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 2001, 2002, right about in there. And you just see the growth, but that's that's inevitable, right? I, I can't complain about it. You know, it's, it's a beautiful city. Colorado is awesome. It was just too much for us. We lived in the city, you know, on a 16th of an acre. The kids couldn't run around. They were going to be city kids. I grew up with a, a, a brook out back, made dams in that, you know, ran around in the woods, played with my cousins. Um, I wanted my kids to grow up with that same respect for the outdoors and just being, you know, being able to run around. So Denver was out. Uh, yeah. The rest of Colorado was getting over the snow, too. Like I like uh, I, all the snow sports kind of went the wayside with kids. Um, and I, you know, got a lot more into running and, and biking and that shut everything down in Colorado for the winter. So we had to find something else. So it had to be a spot where the hunting was phenomenal. Um, that wasn't so much snow that I could keep outdoors year round. Uh, so Arizona was attractive and I'd been hunting down in Arizona for 10 years at that point, mm -hmm. something like that. So I was fairly familiar with it down here. So we decided, well, what we're going to do is sell the house in Denver, buy a camper, and we're going to go on the road until we find the place we want to live. We went up north. We checked out Boise. We checked out, you know, Montana. We we went everywhere, Sweet. kind of road tripping, just hunting, taking the kids out hunting, upland hunting. So it was a camper, two kids, two bird dogs, me and my wife. And we did this for five months and we, we ripped around the U.S. The kids got to see a ton of stuff, needed, you know, a bunch of other people were doing the same thing at the time because of COVID, which was crazy. So there was kind of a community doing the same thing. Um, so we just, again, there was one of those chances. You're like, we sold a house. We have nowhere to live. We're going to go find our next place. And we didn't have family in Denver. So it wasn't like we were had 
roots stuck, you know, it's set down there yet. Um, but then we came down towards uh, Patagonia, Sonoida area in Arizona. My wife fell in love with it. We stayed here for a month um, and just absolutely loved it. There's mm-hmm. an unbelievable amount of public land completely surrounding us. It's uh, a mecca for quail hunting. Deer hunting is great down here. Um, and it was a great community, cowboy community, uh, plenty of, you know, it, the same, the same, you know, where we would want to have our kids, a school small, you know, yeah. 15, 16 kids per class. It was exactly what we were looking for. So we made the move. We said to hell with it. And uh, we've been here almost two years now. What part of the state is that in Arizona? Oh, boy. I mean, I could pee off my back porch and it's almost in Mexico. So <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> we're down there, man. So we're about 20, 25 miles from uh, Mexico as a bird flies. You know, okay. Pro flies. So we're there. Uh, it's. 45 minutes south, um, southeast of Tucson in wine country, cowboy country, that type of thing. So rolling hills. So it's a lot like you would, you know, a lot of people compare it to like South Africa. I've been mule deer hunting down there. You probably have. I have. I'm not going to say the unit. I'm not going to say the unit. We'll we'll talk later. We'll talk later. (laughs) It's a hell of a unit. Yep. Yeah. We'll talk later about that. Yeah. We'll have to. And the coos deer are big big down here too. Yes. I, I will say we're, where I went, um, you know, we got a couple miles off the road, hiked in and everything, and we saw some pretty dang good coos and some hellacious mule deer, and I am yep. licking my chops to get back down there. So Yeah, we'll talk further. Oh, heck yeah, man. Who knows? Maybe we'll do a hunt yep. stand original out there with you. Yes, sir. That'd be fun. Yes, sir. Well, dude, let's, uh, let's talk about this whole trophy hunting thing, man. Um, sure. I assume you've been keeping up with all the things that have been going on with Colorado and this mountain lion stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell the listeners, if you can just kind of give us a quick synopsis of what's been going down with this whole trophy hunting line hunting thing right now. Yeah. Well, it's gosh, Colorado has got this ballot box initiative, that whole thing with the wolves, and now this coming up. And and, and hey, let me I, I gotta commend the, you know, the the PETA or the um the animal rights guys, they did a very smart thing by calling it trophy hunting. They're putting line hunting, and I, I think they said lynx on there, which I, yeah, you can't hunt that anyway. But I guess maybe if we're ever able to type a thing. Um Bobcats, I think, are in this as well. Mm-hmm. But mainly, it seems to be the lion hunting is the big thing. And what they're doing is they're classifying that as trophy hunting, saying that their trophies and trophy hunting is despicable because what do you do when you're trophy hunting? You shoot the animal, you pose, you put your foot on it, you step on the thing, take a picture with it for Instagram, you leave the thing on the ground, you walk away. That's what they're trying to portray it as. Mm-hmm. So they call it trophy hunting, and that was a smart move on their part. Is it trophy hunting? Absolutely not. I don't think it is. It's the same thing. I know guys, I've, I've been out lion hunting. I haven't gotten one myself, but I know these guys. I know houndsmen out there. They take the meat. Lion meat apparently is spectacular. I haven't had it yet, but I've heard, you know, a same. lot of people say that. So they're taking the meat. They're taking the hide. They're taking everything. What the finds out is a trophy over a deer, over javelina, over anything, elk. I, I don't know, but it was it was a wise move on their part to claim that to be a trophy um, because it does make us look despicable and, you know, Write that that as soon as you hear that one word, you're like, nope, they're they're just doing this to post on Instagram type of thing. Um, and it's not, frankly, it's not. So it's a it's a dangerous thing going on there because what what comes after this? Okay, so you're not a lion hunter. Yeah, you, you have no interest in lion hunting. Um, it's not your thing. Fine. 
we're all hunters and, and we're doing this thing between us. And it's, it's, it's sad to see. It doesn't matter if you're a bow hunter or a crossbow hunter, as we talked about earlier, uh, rifle hunter, we're, we're subdividing into these smaller tribes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I really think this is a dangerous game we're playing with each other and uh, where these guys are extremely organized and they're coming after one thing at a time. They're not just going to come after and say, let's just shut hunting down. Hunting's terrible. Let's get rid of it. Yeah. It's not going to happen. What happens with all of our freedoms? You take it piece by piece by piece and you start breaking stuff down. So if you're not a lion hunter, that's fine. But they're coming for you next. Something you love, they're going to be coming for next. It's so it's a slippery slope. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's the same thing as like the Second Amendment stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. we talk about they're like, we don't need assault weapon. Well, it's not an assault weapon, but we don't, you know, and if it's that slippery slope, just take a little bit of freedom from you at a time. So that being said, I think as hunters, all hunters, bow hunter, whatever hunter, mountain lion hunter, upland, all that together, we got to stick together on this one. And I think we all need to get involved on this one and protect our rights because it will be something down the road that you love that they'll be coming for. You know, uh, I've taught, I've been talking to a couple friends about this that, yeah, you see like these little pockets of us hunters that you've got your recurve guys your crossbows like exactly what you're describing that it's like people tearing each other apart and ripping each other just because of their means and methods of how they want to hunt um i mean obviously i mean i'll say it quite frankly on this podcast the only thing i don't uh align with in the hunting community is the deer breeding stuff but that's that's a whole nother hell in a handbasket thing uh that seems to be primarily a texas thing it's um We'll talk about that later, but regardless of what you're hunting with, what you're hunting and how you're hunting, we're all hunters. And like you said, we're, we're going to fall apart if we don't stick together on crap like that. And, um, I want to come back to what you talked about on this group that wanted to classify cat hunting, if you will, you know, we're talking cat mountain lions, bobcats, and for whatever reason they threw links in there, like you said. It comes from a very ignorant place to say things like that because they don't understand that hunting for those species is conservation. Because before long, if they take that away from us, guess what? All these Instagram and Facebook videos that you see of people's dogs and cats getting eaten up by mountain lions, I think we're going to be seeing that a lot more if this happens to fall, you know, another ballot box initiative like the wolves in Colorado, wouldn't you say? This episode is brought to you by Matthews Archery. By far, my new favorite bow is the Matthews Lift 33. After the Phase 4, I really didn't know how much better Matthews could make their bows, especially after the new RPD system, the bridge lock. I just didn't know how they could do it, but once they sent me the lift and I put this thing in my hand and got it set to where I wanted and shot that first arrow... I was amazed. I just could not believe how dead in the hand this bow is, the smooth draw, and how much lighter this aluminum bow is compared to the majority of the carbon bows on the market. So if you're interested in a lighter, faster, and quieter bow, make sure you check out the Matthews Lift. Head to MatthewsInc.com. Hunt Stands Make Your Mark podcast is brought to you by Yamaha Outdoors. To check out Yamaha's proven lineup of side-by-sides, ATVs, and off-road vehicles, 
head to yamahamotorsports.com. Yeah, you know, and and it is a place of ignorance. And and the thing is, I think a lot of these people where they're coming from, maybe they watched Nat Geo as kids. You know, I I understand where they're coming from. They 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 want to protect these animals. They think they're doing the right thing. Um, what do they what do they say that's saying? It's like loving something to death. Like mm-hmm. they're seeing it as they're protecting these animals. They see us as the people that are out there and we're trying to, you know, we're going to hunt them to extinction. Yeah. They don't see that what we're doing is keeping this perfect harmony between nature, you know, where then all of a sudden, if we just let it, I guess that's happening in California because <laughs> they don't let them hunt lions. Like they should kind of look at that case study yeah. and how there's very few deer hunting is from what I understand pretty terrible in uh uh in cali and it you know could be a hell of a lot better if they took care of their predator populations but they don't because they have or they're hiring a a biologist or somebody that's going out and killing these things anyway but they're keeping it out of the public's eye yeah they're hiring they're paying somebody to go out there and shoot these things keeping it you know low low profile as opposed to having people coming in paying for uh, a permit to go hunt these animals so yeah they don't they don't understand us humans are part of this whole ecosystem as well they think for mm-hmm. some reason we should be completely detached thrown to the side and let nature fend for itself well we're, we've always been involved you know for, i mean for as long as we've been around now we're able to do it a bit more scientifically using biologists that go out there and look at population okay what's a carrying capacity to this area you know for lions for deer for everything that's why we have tags it's not just an, a free-for-all out yeah. here yeah and I don't think they understand that as well, that it's very, it's scientific. Like they always preach and, you know, trust the science, trust the science. Well, please trust the science here. This is why we have biologists go out there, figure out what the carrying capacity is, understand how many, uh, if there's the percentage that of success with hunters, and then they get a number and they're like, okay, 10% of, we need to take 10 lions out of this area. It's a 10% success rate. We could allow what? hundred hunters out there to go hunt this thing, mm-hmm. 10% success rate. We take 10 lions out of the situation or deer or elk or whatever it is. It's a, it, you know, it's, it, there's a lot that goes into this. Uh, so I just, they're basing it all off of emotion and that's a rough way to make decisions is just off of emotion. Um, so it is. And we know, saw that with the wolves, that. we saw it with the yeah. wolves, man. I mean, freaking ballot box initiatives and you're releasing the, releasing these wolves that, they're not even federally protected. I mean, it was. And they don't even know what they'll do in the wild. Like these people are never going to see them. We spend all the time out there. We're the ones in the back country. Yeah. We understand how these animals interact with each other. They see a husky and they're like, oh, that's a wolf. That's what I see running around Wash Park in Denver. <laughs> it's the same type of thing. No, it's not. These things are built to kill. And I'm not against wolves. You know, if they're going to introduce them or any of this stuff into Colorado, well, then you need a plan behind it, how to keep that to whatever the biologists are saying, which didn't want it to begin with, but okay. They say they could hold 200 without doing tremendous damage to the, uh, um, to the undulates, that type of thing. Well, well, then we better have a plan in place to be able to hunt them, trap them, whatever it takes where Colorado has nothing. There's no plan in place. They're just like, yeah, hopefully everything's going to equal out and, you know, rainbows are going to shoot out of their ass and everything's going to work out perfectly without humans. (laughs) It ain't going to happen. So (laughs) I don't know. Well, what I love is I think I saw when they when these wolves got released, I saw a couple of ranchers in Wyoming because, you know, they, they released these wolves like right close to the Wyoming border. Yeah. And everybody yeah. knows these wolves ranges. I mean, it's just exponential. 
And these Wyoming ranchers are like, okay, release them. Fine. They come onto my ranch over here from your state. Guess what? <laughs> we we got a season on them. Yeah, so, that's exactly it. Hopefully that's exactly what they do. Just push them. No you know, kidding. get people out there and do a little old no. uh, wolf drive there or something. Who knows? Yeah. But yeah, that's that's it's 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 kind of ugly right now. So but going back to the thing we said before, we we need to stick together on this one because you know, we have we stand a good chance of losing our rights and it's it's gonna come slowly and it's gonna come piece by piece. So absolutely. You know, with the thing that I kind of look at it from the the window of, you know, this group defines cat hunting, predator hunting, whatever they want to as trophy hunting. It's like, okay, well, uh, there's a way that we can balance conservation and trophy hunting. And so from that purview, I mean, how would you basically define or look at it for me? Like how can trophy hunting contribute positively to wildlife conservation efforts? Well, I mean, if we look out of the country, you know, I think Africa is a great example mm-hmm. of trophy. I mean, that's trophy hunting, you know, as a definition, you would imagine people coming, you know, spending a ton of money going to another country, injecting that money into the uh, the local area, which then protects those animals because now those animals are worth something. Yeah. You know, I mean, Jim Shockey will be what, go find a podcast with him. He's going to be way more eloquent yep. than what I could say on this, but that I think is a perfect example of how trophy hunting, um, how it does work is mm-hmm. you're, you're putting money into the local community. They're going to protect those animals because now they have a value to them. Whereas before they didn't, maybe their value was 50 bucks for the pelt or, or for the teeth or whatever it was they were, you know, getting out of that. Um, you know, same thing here. Like there is a trophy hunting where you're, you're paying a lot more, more money for certain things like mountain goat out of state. Like, there's a ton of money going into that or, or bighorn sheep, yeah, that type of thing that's getting injected back into conservation. We're paying us hunters are paying for conservation that mm-hmm. everybody else likes to enjoy. Well, we took that burden on and that's fine. I don't mind it. I'll pay money for tags, you know, as long as I can keep doing what we're doing. Um, but it, it is conservation. And, you know, I think we got to be careful about bickering over what's trophy hunting to us. You know, is is it like you had said earlier with, you know, I mean, people see these farmed deer and, you know, they're giving them minerals and they're barely could hold their heads up. Mm-hmm. Not my thing. Maybe not your thing, but it's somebody's thing. Yep. Um, you know, like I, I'm at the point in my life, I think maybe just getting older and, 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 you know, I'm learning. I, I know less than I thought I knew in my twenties. That's for sure. Um, but my job is just is not to tell other people what to do. It's either assist, help people, or just get out of the way. So if mm-hmm. other people want to do that, as long as it's again not an ugly thing, they're not leaving the meat on the ground. They're not being disrespectful, you know, to the animal. You know, live and let live. Let people do what they want to do. It's not my job to tell other people, you know, how to hunt, what to hunt with. As long as it's legal and as long as you're being respectful to the animal, I'm good with anything. Exactly. I mean, and that's, you know, I think that's a, you talking about, you know, essentially lack of better terms, the the deer breeding uh, down here in Texas. And I know there's other states that do it as well. Like it's legal and there's deer that get released onto people's ranches. They get shot. But uh, I mean, here's the thing. That is a huge revenue generator here in texas for some small south texas towns or central texas or wherever wherever it may be i mean it brings a lot of money into the local economy and then you know 
then you got to start talking about how much is taken from those hunting purchases. It goes back into conservation. Like it's a whole ecosystem. So I'm like you, do I have to agree with it? No, but as long as it's legal, keep at it. That's, that's all I have to say, but I want to kind of get into more of the misconceptions of trophy hunting and the different viewpoints on it. So I guess to kind of ask you, you know, what would you say are some of the criticism, criticisms or misconceptions people often have about trophy hunting that you yourself may want to address? You know, like how are people viewing it? What do they consider trophy hunting? Are you talking about non-hunters or us hunters, in, you know, uh, how we're reacting to each other with trophy hunting? Because I think that's two different, completely two different segments and how we approach it. Let's talk about us as hunters because that's primarily the listeners here. And then we can even touch on the non-hunters as well that might have aspirations to hunt that person that we need sure. to talk to, you know? Yep. I think the reason, like trophy hunting between us hunters, um, where a lot of the controversy hits is maybe when we're not being, okay, so everything goes to social media. Before social media, yeah. nobody cared. Probably, I didn't even know what trophy hunting was before that, you know, but now people posting pictures, they're trying to get, I guess, we all do this, you know, we're, we're trying to get credit amongst our, our peers, like mm-hmm. getting the biggest animal. And I, I went out there and, you know, I busted my butt and I got this beautiful 350 bull type of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and there is respect from my end when I see people doing that, you know, year after year, you watch guys like Remy Warren, who's hunting public lands, either yeah. tags or OTC year after year, this guy kills. My respect is at a 10 for that dude. To oh yeah. Do that. Now I see other guys going out there and they pay for a private land hunt. Maybe they're dropping 25 K for this hunt. Mm-hmm. They're still wild animals. They're still going out there, but there's a difference when I'm out there hunting an OTC tag it's all the challenges of elk hunting. That's anywhere, you know, anywhere else in the world. Um, but I had the added pressure where I'm waiting, I'm seeing an animal and I may have to go in earlier than I would like to, because I know another guy might've seen that animal and, you know, it's almost a race to the animal. So when you're on private land, you take that factor out of there. So, you know, maybe the respect level goes down for that kill. Now, pure jealousy, because I would hunt that 25 K tag every single year <laughs> oh, if yeah. I had the means to do it. So, it's and that's how they like to do it, and I get that too. And I would do that, but if you're talking strictly a skill level, I think that's a different level, and then it goes down from there, you know, hunting over a feeder and on and on. But who cares? Mm-hmm. You don't need my permission to say this one's the most important, this one's the second, like, but that's what social media does, right? Yep. You know, so I think where the controversy comes in between us hunters is if somebody's passing off, they're looking for that respect but they're passing it off as something that's not, well, this was a farm ton. Okay, fine. But maybe just say that. So, you know, and I think if we're honest with each other and we're looking for the respect of getting that trophy in, in the hardest terms possible, like an OTC tag, um, and you're doing it year in and year out. And I think a lot of these guys are looking for maybe a sponsorship or whatever that means these days. I have no idea. Um, you know, I think it's just honesty amongst each other of how we how we got that, that animal or maybe not you know maybe who cares like again do you have to tell people you know and i don't know i don't know it's it's a weird one it really so is I, I mean i i can kind of talk on that too you know i would say at one time 
I looked at it from a different window than I do now. And that's just because of experience and what I've learned and what I've been through. But I mean, there is one time I'm not going to say his name on this podcast. Um, I wouldn't do that to him, but, uh, as a guy that, you know, I'd worked on his bows a little bit here and there and he had messaged me one time. He's like, Oh yeah, man. He sent me this video of a, a deer getting kicked out of a cattle trailer. It was like 195 inch deer. And I was like, you know, what is this? Like, I was like, Oh, I'm going to go hunt that deer. I'm like, you're going to go hunt a deer that just got kicked off of a trailer into a hundred acre pen. And he ended up killing it. Took him like two weeks and he was super proud of himself. And you know, when that first happened, I was just like, what are we doing here? But then like, as I've grown up and learned more and I guess had more of an open perspective on things, it's words like, Hey, it's legal. We're hunters whatever, man, yeah. That if that's your jam, that's your jam. Not mine, but I'm not going to hate on you for it. Uh, whereas before right. I was like, what, <laughs> you know, just like, what the hell? But, uh, you know, coming back to this trophy hunting thing, what do you define as a trophy? Well, it, it, it's going to vary hunt to hunt. You know, there's hunts I'm out there, um, and it's a meat hunt. You know, that's what I'm looking for. And a lot, it depends. Sometimes I apply for a tag specifically for that reason. Sometimes it's because, um, you know, maybe it's an OTC tag and you know, you're not going to get into a big bull. Or if I pull, you know, a couple of years back and pulled a 76 tag uh, in Colorado and then trophy hunting that for me is I was going to stay in there to the last day and, you know, try to get the biggest bull I can. Cause that may be my only opportunity to do it. Yeah. So it, it's going to, it's going to vary from hunt to hunt what it is. Um, and even within that hunt, it's going to change as your time's getting closer, you're going to change your mind on what it is. I don't know. It's, it's, it's the memory I'm building off of it. You know, there's hunts I went in, I'm like, I'll, I'll see an animal. And I'm like, if I could get the perfect stalk of that animal and it does not know I'm there and I get within, say, 30 yards with my bow, that's a trophy. Mm -hmm. Because that whole experience and I did everything right to get into that animal and I'll shoot that animal because of that reason. There's other times I've done that and backed off of it. I'm like, now nah, I could get something bigger. So, you know, it just depends on hunt to hunt. But to me, it's whatever I'm looking to get out of the, the, the hunt and it could be I'm planning that ahead of time, or it could be in the moment that I change my mind, and that's what I want. Um, so I, you know, I've never shot that 350 bull. I've shot a, some decent deer, um, but a lot of those, you know, it's like looking back on the memories of that perfect stalk in my brain is kind of the ones I remember the most. So, you know, whereas it didn't just happen upon me, I've had those too. I've had some lucky, you know, lucky kills out there as well, and they don't mean as much to me. So. I don't have a, a, a set definition for a trophy. I really don't. And, you know, that's that's it. I would probably say that's where, like you're saying, depending on where you're going to hunt or what the tag is or even timing of the year, there's a distinction between hunters like yourself who they may look at what's on the head versus the meat, and that's where – uh, I think you kind of have like this other hunter as well that we're prioritizing meat over antlers. It just, like you said, it just depends on who it is, what it is and what you're hunting for. And it could be both, you know, and that's what yeah. gets me is it, it always seems to be this binary thing with us. Like you're going after the antler or you're going after me. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter how much antlers on top of its head, there's meat attached to it. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a given that meat's coming with it. 
You know what I mean? It's, it's never a thing. I don't think any legitimate hunter out there, and I wouldn't call them a hunter if they, if they didn't think this way, the meat is, it's coming out with you. That's why we're out there oh, hunting. Yeah. You know, that can't stay on the ground. Like that's, it's illegal to begin with. And I, it's just, <laughs> I couldn't fathom it either. But if you're going out there and you're looking for that 350 bull, that, you know, 190 mule deer, um, good on you. Why not? Like, what's wrong with that? If you want to stay out there for two weeks and do that, there's hunts I've done that. I don't think there's absolutely anything wrong with that, knowing that that meat's attached mm-hmm. to it and you're going to be taking that out as well. So it could be both. Yeah, it uh, definitely. I mean, that's like the the bull that's behind me. This is my first elk ever that I shot this year with Jermaine Hodge, who's from Colorado. And, you know, going into this hunt, he asked me, he's like, how big of a bull you want to shoot, man? I was like, dude, I've never killed an elk before. So the first yeah. legal thing that comes out in front of me, I'm going to shoot it. Like, I'm not looking to go out there. And I told him, I was like, I'm not going looking out there to go out and kill a 300 plus inch bull. Like, maybe I'll look at that perspective when I'm older, like, you know, as just part of being a hunter, you know, you want to try and get that big trophy bull or whatever you're going after. And just so happened to be that the first one that popped in front of me to give me a shot was a 303. And so that's a sick bull. That dude, was a great video too, by the way. I saw thanks, that it was awesome. Thanks, man. It was a, it was a hell of a time, but yeah, I mean, it all just comes down to who the hunter is and what the goal is. And man, I think, I think social media has kind of been the plague of the hunting community. Wouldn't you agree? It certainly can be, you know, and I used to demonize social media a lot, but it's, it's just a tool like anything else, you know, that's, it's almost saying like when someone's like, it's the gun's fault for the mass shootings, you're like, no, it's the people behind the gun. That's the fault. And it's the same thing with social media. It could be a, it could be a blessing. It could be a curse. And I've, I've, I've met some nice people and I've hunted with, you know, Upland with some guys that I've met through Instagram and they were coming out to the area and, you know, met up. Mm-hmm. So there is some great things with that. And I'm inspired when I go on there, you know, there's times where I'll, it's it, honestly, it'll keep me going. Like sometimes during the season, you're like, man, everybody's getting a bull. It's not everybody, you know, but you, you follow yeah. say 700 people and a bunch of people like keep at it. I mean, just use it for what you want it to be. And just stay away from the garbage because there's a ton of garbage out there. But that's, yeah, you know, there's a ton of a-holes in anything in life. And it's the same thing in the hunting community. And it, just like everywhere else, they tend to be the most vocal. They tend to be, you know, so I think we just got to stay away from those people. Don't give them the the, the fuel for their fire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, those accounts, that's all they do is, you know, shit on everybody else. And, and, and you know, and want everybody to hunt the way they do it or you know it's it's craziness and again that is that infighting that we have but it's also there's there's a good side to it too yeah and i think that's unfortunately where the people who want to take it away from us they look at more of the negative things that get posted than more of the good like i think there's a lot of influencers out there that you know we need more hunters we need there needs to be more of us uh and they've done a good job at recruiting people to uh, bring more hunters into the space. Like, you know, Steve Ranella over at Meat Eater. I mean, I'll, I'll bring him up because Absolutely. when I was managing a bow shop in Austin, Texas, uh, a lot of people came into my shop because they had seen Meat Eater. They wanted to find mm-hmm. out how to procure their own meat. They wanted to kill it and they wanted to go through the whole process and bow hunting looked really cool to them. And so I would say 90% of my customers were 
new hunters, new bow hunters. So, I mean, they did a great job at that. But then you've got some other guys and gals out there that some of the crap they're doing on socials, like it doesn't give us as hunters from a holistic view a good name. And that's what the groups who, you know, want to take mountain lion hunting away per se, they're seeing that. And that's what they're defining us as a community as. I agree. And I think what, what ends up happening is, um, and I, I, I fall prey to this as well when I'm on, you know, say Instagram, something like that. I, I always think that just the people following me are just other hunters. And so I'm posting stuff for other hunters. So like a trophy shot of an animal, like I'm proud of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, but it's not, that's not how social media works. Anybody from the outside could see it. So, yeah, I mean, we do have, you know, being that we're in such a controversial sport or whatever you want to call it, um, and we're constantly under fire, we do have to be cognizant of how we're portraying hunting in general. Um, try telling an 18-year-old kid that, though, that wants to post a picture of something funny that happened out in the woods that may be inappropriate, you know, for or outside viewers to see. Or, well, even older kids. I'm not, yeah. you know, shitting on the 18 year olds, but I mean, I know how I was at 18 years old. Yeah. You know, I wasn't thinking of, you know, thank God I didn't have social media back then. Um, but we do have to realize that there's other people looking in on this. Uh, so it is a tough line because I also want to be able to show other hunters like the, the stuff I'm doing out there. So for my my side of it, like I just, I don't know why I would do it anyway, but I got to make sure there's nothing disrespectful on there towards the animal or the hunting community or other people in general. So absolutely. Muddy Outdoors is a brand that's been around for quite some time now. At Muddy, they recognize that the essence of a hunter transcends seasons where their gear is crafted to support the relentless spirit of the hunter year round. For Muddy, hunting is not just a seasonal pursuit, it's a constant. And I, for one, definitely resonate with this and this past year i got some new muddy box blinds that have been game changers for us down here in texas and i've been running muddy tree stands for as long as i can remember so if you're interested in learning more about muddy head to gomuddy.com one of my favorite knives that i used this past fall from the deer woods in kansas all the way up to the elk mountains of colorado was sog's ether fx It's lightweight and compact design plus heavyweight blade quality made for the perfect knife for every use that I put it through this fall. I took it on every adventure. And if you're in the market for looking for that same lightweight, compact, durable knife that is going to do anything and everything you need it to, highly suggest you check out SOG's Ether FX. To do that, head to SOGKnives.com. And if you'd like a discount on the SOG Ether FX, use discount code HUNTSTAND10 when you're checking out. I want to take a quick second to talk to y'all about Stealth Cam and their all new trail cameras, new for 2024. And the one that I specifically want to talk to y'all about is the brand new Revolver Pro. This is a 360 degree cellular trail camera. The Revolver Pro is a game changer. The power of six cameras and one sleek, innovative design allows you to cover more ground Capture more detail and never miss the action again. Discover the future of outdoor surveillance with Stealth Cam's 2024 lineup of cellular trail cameras. To learn more, head to stealthcam.com. And if you'd like a 10% discount on the Stealth Cam website when checking out, use code HuntStand10. 
Got that discount code along with many more of our partners down below in the show notes. You know, I know we're getting a little short on time here, and so I kind of want to come down to, you know, you, you talked about coming back to trophy hunting. Your definition of a trophy kind of is dictated on that tag, that hunt. Can you maybe share from your earlier days, if you can think back on anything, like maybe share a particular memorable hunting experience that shaped your perspective on, you know, per se, trophy hunting or just hunting in general? Yeah, I think probably I would say, I mean, there's a bunch of them, but one real cool one for me is the first bull I called in. Um, that whole season I had, I had gotten shot up with my bow before that. Uh, but it was always a spot and stalk scenario. Cause that's just always what I was comfortable with. That's mm -hmm. how I hunted deer. That's how, you know, I pretty much hunted everything. And that season I went into it, uh, you know, with the perspective of, I'm going to call in an elk. I'm going to call in a bull particularly, um, where it's not going to happen. And, you know, there was a ton of times, like I almost went back and I'm like, you know, and, and I think that's where the trophy park in it is a, that's the goal I set for myself. B I had opportunities, uh, elsewise where a spot and stalker could have easily have worked out, um, something of the sorts, but I set that goal, made it harder for myself. Um, several times that season had regretted making that decision, but then when it actually happened and it came down and I called this bull in and I saw this thing come in from, and it was an Aspen Grove. He was, you know, kind of thick in there, but I saw him calling his way in, me calling back to him, um, 175 yards out and the heart's just pumping that whole way. And I saw this perfect little bush of Aspens, like he's going to go behind there. I saw the direction he was going to go. And I'm like, that's the spot where I could draw my bow. He's not going to see me. It's 35 yards. Perfect shot. You know, set myself up in a position just in front of this little pine tree where my, you know, not silhouetted, um, and the plan worked out. It did. He got the 35 yards, threw out a little mew, little cow call to him. He stopped, had no idea it was there. And perfect shot went down in a couple yards. Uh, and that was that. And to me, like, God, I sound so cheesy saying that I hate this. Everybody's like, oh, you know, but but that was my trophy. Like, that was this thing I set out to do. Yeah. And if I'm looking back on, you know, uh, all the hunts throughout the years, that one sticks in my head. So there's the trophy is that memory of that. Um, and you know, I mean, gosh, like hearing the birds, what they sound like the smell in the air, whether my memory is true or not exactly, it doesn't matter, you know, but like, I, I, I could see it in my mind right now of how that went down. Um, you know, and that was a special one. So that was, that was one of the biggest trophies I have. And that, that elk is still, it's not the biggest elk I've gotten, but, uh, it's up on my wall. You know, it was, it's got a lot of memory to it. So it was an important one to me. The whole hunt was a trophy itself. Exactly. And it's cheesy to say that. And I hate to throw <laughs> things out like that, but it is, it is, you know, it was like, I don't know. In, in the end, what do we have? We got our memories, you know, and mm -hmm. that's the other side of trophy hunting. When something's on the wall, I walk by, you know, I walk by that elk and I'm like, oh yeah, that was cool. Constantly, you know, bringing that back in my head or any of the animals on my wall or and that's kind of why it's there is to yeah. bring back that memory. Cause that's, I, I think one of the most important things we're going like, to leave this earth with, you know, right at the end is going to be those, those important memories and that's going to be there to the end. So that was, a, that was a big one. Absolutely, man. And I, I mean, that's what I do is the memories. Like, I don't know, like there, I think there's lots of guys out there that they have aspirations to shoot a 200 inch plus whitetail. And that's awesome. Uh, me personally, sure. 
right now, I don't have any aspirations to do that. Will that change in 15, 20 years? Who knows? I don't know. Um, but I want to come it's back. It's like the same thing. It's like telling somebody else what they need to do with their career. You yeah. know, it's, it's no different. Like this should be your goal at all. You're like, no, everybody's different. Like you want something different than I want. We're all, we're all individuals. Let's, let's keep it at that. And let's be respectful to each other of what they want. Again, as long as it's, as long as it's legal. And as long as it's, uh, you know, you're not being disrespectful to the animals. How about it? Absolutely. I want to come back to the whole cat mountain lion, bobcat thing. Uh, what do you foresee happening here in the near future in Colorado with that that whole debacle? I'm I'm a little bit nervous on it because we're not organizing fast enough. Like there's there's you know some good organization. Hal is a great one. I think everybody mm-hmm. needs to get signed on that up on that. Get money in there. Uh, they do a great job of being able to write to the the politicians and having kind of letters preset to, to help out with that. If we're if we don't get involved, it's gone. You know, it's 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 a hundred percent that, and I see that as the slippery slope. You know, I, I see that is well, where are they going to? What's next, trophy hunting? What where are they going to put that? You know, what what other animals are now going to be trophy hunting? That could go on forever. You know, that could go on for big elk. Well, you have to shoot something now under three twenty or I don't know what what can they do with it? But trophy hunting is just this obscure kind of word like there's no set definition behind it if they set that definition and say hey listen trophy hunting is you shooting an animal and leaving it on the ground okay let's get rid of trophy hunting i'm all for it but that's not what they're defining it as they're not giving a solid definition for it so that's a scary part so if you're not defining it well um they're gonna they're gonna put that on anything they want to put that on in the future so if we don't stop it now it could go anywhere and it's going to go to something that you love too. So it is. And I, I think uh, it's important to note on this too that people that may not necessarily be living in Colorado um, or may not even have hunted Colorado, uh, it's important to note that even if this isn't happening in your state or this is happening yes. to you personally, uh, you can't turn a blind eye to this at all. No, because they set precedent at that point. Mm-hmm. Now, if it happens in Colorado, you know, Peter, or the, the the animal rights activist is down in, say, Texas, where you're at. You know, they could come out and say, listen, this is what happened in Colorado. They got rid of trophy hunting. So, it, you know, it sets precedent and it's a dangerous thing to have. So it's, yeah, it's not just Colorado. It will come to your state. It will come to the animals there. Um, so let's nip it in the bud right now and, and, and get organized. Join HAL is a great one. But if you have something else out there, um, that's what I know of. Um, Join these groups, get involved in these groups and uh, let your voice be heard. Because it doesn't do us any good if we're hunters and and we're not voicing our opinions because guess what? They are and they're very well organized. So scary. It's important for us as hunters to get organized. If they're getting organized, we need to stand together and fight against it. Otherwise, like you said, it's a slippery slope and who knows what they're coming after next. Yep, agreed. Well, Fred, dude, I appreciate your time today and going down the road that we did with this podcast was a great one. Before we go, tell the listeners if they want to check you out where they can find an Instagram website, anything like that. Sure. It's just uh Fred Bohm, B O H M uh, on Instagram and uh, or Sage and breaker as well. I do more of the upland stuff over on that. Uh, so that's where my photography lives. Fredbohm.com. I, I write a bit too. And uh, not as often as I should. 
Uh, and the photography is up there as well. And uh, Sage and Breakers, B R A K E R dot com is where you could find uh, uh, the gun cleaning stuff. So if you're just curious to see what that is and reach out to me, whether it's Instagram or, you know, email, whatever it may be. If you're especially curious on the uh, um, entrepreneurial side of things, feel free to reach out. Cool. Fred, appreciate it, man. All right, Will, take care. I want to give a shout out to some of our fine sponsors and supporting HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. Started off, I want to thank Hawk Hunting, Hunt from Above, Tenzing Outdoors, Go Further, Hunt Longer, True Globe, When Brightness Counts, Halo Optics, Hunting Success Magnified, ABNX, Unmatched Quality, Zinc, A Champion in Every Call, Boss Buck, the most versatile and user-friendly feeders on the market. Evolved, reap what you sow. Cyclops Lighting Solutions, get out of the dark. New archery products, whatever your broadhead preference, NAP has you covered. And finally, Bloodsport, the bleeding edge of archery. To get a discount on products from the featured partners of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast, enter code HUNTSTAND10 during the checkout process. I'll have all these partners' website links listed down in the show notes below.